Let's make today the day you start the business that will change your life. You'll learn how at Income School. Income School is about taking your income into your own hands by creating a website that people will love, building a following, and earning a living online. And now your host, Jim Harmer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Income School podcast. I am joined today by two people who I really look up to for totally different reasons. One is Brian Ricks. Brian is my brother-in-law, and he's also an internet marketer who's been running a website for about four months now, and so is in a position that many of you either are in as new internet marketers or are about to be in, where he's done a lot of the legwork to start getting an audience and is ready to launch a product. And when I think about launching products, I immediately go to Tim Conley. Tim is uh, an experienced entrepreneur, and he's also the voice behind the Foolish Adventure Show pod- podcast. If you listen to other internet mar- marketing podcasts, you've surely heard that one. I've been listening to Tim Conley for a few years on his podcast, and one little thing that he gave me has been worth a tremendous value in my business. I mean, literally has earned hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's his uh, his email bait is what I call it. You know, the, the thing you give out for free for when somebody signs up for your email list. He at least had, I don't know if you still have, Tim, if you still use this as your email bait, um, but it's a webinar about launching a product. And I've seen a lot of webinars and none of them were really worth it. But this one was, I mean, awesome. It was so good. I I have a Google Doc that I refer to even, you know, well over a year later since I heard it that I I go in every time I launch anything new and look at the principles I learned from that and apply them. It's been really valuable. So, Tim, I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Brian, tell us a little bit about your business and where you've been so far. Uh, first, Jim, thanks for having me. And Tim, I'm really excited to, uh, to get your insights and, and suggestions. Uh, I started this idea. We came up with this idea kind of in January, kind of just talking with my wife. She has been homeschooling for several years, and we just wanted to, to do something to help uh, new homeschool parents that were struggling with ideas and motivation. And so, Jim, then talking to you, we, we decided to do a podcast. Uh, we launched that at the end of January uh, with, with one title, and then a couple months later decided to change that over and switch to 101 Homeschool Ideas. So let me, and, let me pause you there for just one second. Tell us why you switched the title. Well, after talking with you a little bit and looking around, we realized that Make Education Matter could – well, first of all, it sounds like a government entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, it didn't really have anything in the – in the title there that would be searched for in the podcast or in, in a Google search. And so we just figured it would be easier to find if we changed and went with that different title. Okay. So tell We've us a little bit pod- about your numbers now. You know, you, you've been working, you've, you know, you've been publishing a lot of blog posts and you've been doing the podcast to tell us kind of where you are now. Okay. So the podcast, we started off really, really slow. Uh, the first month, I think we had, we had like 35 downloads and then it has kind of, gone up from there this month so far we're sitting at about 3,000 downloads and it it, it's almost doubled the last the last three months we've doubled we went from 1,500 to 3,000 and we're on our way to about 6,000 downloads this month we're doing two episodes a week and my podcast is my biggest traffic driver to my website the website we're getting between 500 
and 800 uh, hits each day. A lot of those every coming... day. That's awesome. I didn't realize it had gone up that much. That's great. It's yeah. Well, we hit a big spike with one particular. We did one episode, one podcast, uh, immature games to play with your kids. We put that out on a Pinterest pin, and that drove a ton of traffic to our website for about three weeks. Uh, I was getting 2,500 hits a day, and then it's oh, kind I, I of. Wanna, I want to interrupt. Uh, you're using the word hits, uh, which. Uh, hasn't really been used in like a long time. So I just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page. Do you mean uh, page views or unique visitors? Unique visitors. Thank you for that clarifier. Okay. And are you getting about one and a half or two pages per visit? You know what? I'm not sure. Okay. I haven't, I, that's not something I've looked at. Okay. Okay. So, um, so you have that. How about up? your email list and social? How many are you getting to kind of follow you? So my email list is I've got 20 email follower or people on my email list and I send out a newsletter each month that has different lesson ideas and we cha- each newsletter's got a math we focus on math then we'll do reading and then e- and we'll just go through that way. Social media on Facebook we've got about 150 followers in my Pinterest on Pinterest I'm sitting at about 15 is all. Okay. All right. So we're looking at at now that you you know you you have the 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 growing audience. You at least have that trickle that it's starting to grow little by little, especially with the podcast and the and the website traffic. Tim, what are some some uh, you know when do you say it's time to launch a product? Uh, before you get started. <laughs> okay. Tell us about that. Uh, okay. So a question for Brian is: Is this a hobby or or a business? I'd like it to be a business. Okay, because you know, I've like I said, I've visited the site, and it doesn't. It, it seems more just a blog without a business concept behind it. And and so, if if I'm going to give you business advice, I need to make sure you actually want to build a business. That's that's what I that's what I would love. Uh, okay, so with that, then we need to uh, go to the site. So for everyone listening, it's uh, 101 homeschoolideas.com and that is something that you're coming there. The first thing I looked for was where's the 101 ideas. Okay. Oh, good point. Uh, that's what it says. And, and all I see is a bunch of blog posts. Uh, one of the least things, but it is crucial to uh, of your eventual success is the lack of design. So the site doesn't have, it doesn't have much design to it. And, and you should definitely fix that, especially if you've got people coming from Pinterest so Pinterest is very visual. They're coming over from Pinterest and they're not getting any pictures. There's like zero, uh, zero pictures on, on the site. So I would I'd put some effort into that. Uh, another lesser thing, since you're new, uh, the site's new, you've got some broken links and things like that that, that should be fixed. But the, the main thing is, if it's a business, what are you serving? What problem are you serving for the market? Because there's already a ton of competition out there that's doing all kinds of things for the homeschool market. I know I've got a 14-year-old that we've been homeschooling forever, and there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. So what is it that you're serving beyond a blog and a podcast? The biggest thing that we're trying to offer is just a – what everyone else is offering is a place where you can go and find ideas. We want to offer that as well, but we also want to offer a place where I hope eventually we can create a community. I know that when my wife started homeschooling, one of the things that she struggled with was nobody else around her, or at least she didn't know anybody around her that was homeschooling. 
And so what would what I'd like to do or where I see this going hopefully in the future is creating an online community where people can plug in and they they're familiar with other people in the community and they can exchange ideas that way. Okay. Exchanging ideas isn't a very big problem. What do you mean? Well, we can all exchange ideas. It's pretty easy. There's a lot of uh, forums on homeschooling that already exist. People can go there and exchange ideas. How are you going to break into the market of exchanging ideas? Uh, that there, there needs to be a bigger issue that you're solving than just exchanging ideas because very few people will ever pay to have the opportunity to exchange ideas. Well, as we started this, one of the things that – the reason we went that way and the reason we started looking at a way to exchange ideas, and I guess more than just changing, exchanging ideas, it was a place where you can feel like somewhere where you can go for motivation when things aren't working, when everything falls apart, when you have that day where your, your eight-year-old slams the book, yells that she hates you, and storms off to her room, uh, where someplace that you can go for a very specific – uh, to help in in a situation like that when you're lacking motivation or you've got specific problems or hangups that you're running into. Okay. Uh, again, I I don't see the 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 business problem here. Uh, uh, like these these things are some are things that people like. They they really enjoy. Right. Uh, look how many people are on Facebook. They love connecting with each other. But how many have ever given Facebook any money? The, there's very few things uh, in the let's connect with each other that actually gets people to pay money. They, they need a bigger problem that they're solving before they will exchange their money for it. I think that's a, that's a good point. Uh, it seems that the that the the community is definitely. I mean, every every website wants a community behind it, mostly because it keeps eyeballs on the website. Every podcast wants a community behind it because it keeps people involved in it. That's why people put forums on their website is they want eyeballs. They want people to feel like they're in a community, so they'll just stick around. And right. then to 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 extract money from that community, a pro, some kind of problem needs to be solved. So I, I think that's a good point. And developing the sense of community is obviously something you want on your website. Uh, but it's but I think to to make a product like Tim's saying that's a good idea. We we need to search for something that that you can solve for other people. One thing that I've been learning recently and learning the hard way on my main website, Improve Photography, is that I've been teaching online courses for years, and it's that's how I get most of my money. It's been great. I certainly don't re don't uh, regret that because it's brought in a huge amount of money. But what I'm seeing so often now is that when I re when I release that lower cost product that's a quick fix the, you know the online courses it's 30 days you got to register wait for the class to begin and do the class and 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 watch you know four and a half hours of video and and email your instructor that's a major commitment and so what I'm finding right now is that people want their problem fixed and what I'm and in my marketing of the classing classes, what I'm really do is I'm gonna teach you to solve your problems in photography. That's not what they want. They want me to fix their photography problem and they want better better pictures. So when I changed and released a different product, there was a I, 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 without getting into too much detail, just because it's photography geek stuff. Uh, it's a product that that kind of stylizes your helps you to stylize your photos. It was an incredible success. I mean, they were they just went bananas over it because instead of being something they had to commit to, 
it was something that just solved the problem for them. So what are some problems that homeschooling parents have? So here are the most common things that I get in emails or as people reach out and uh, as we sit and talk on the streets. Uh, The biggest thing, I don't know what to teach my fourth grader in math. So where should they be at on the curriculum scale? Where should my child be reading? What, how do I know if they're reading on, on target? How do I know if they're falling behind? Uh, and then the other, probably the most common one is that I don't know, what do I do for a school day? How, do I run it like a classroom? Um, I got an email this morning that, from a mom that talked about they pulled her daughter from school because she wasn't improving and they didn't see the school trying to help her. And so they've pulled her out and now the, ch- now the child is starting to revolt a little bit. And mom and dad don't know what to do to mend that relationship. The biggest, the biggest success I've had with podcast was a, was a podcast aimed at not really, it didn't really have anything to do with homeschooling. Interesting enough. It was about connecting with your kids. And I would say for this community, probably one of the biggest reasons they, well, I think one of the biggest reasons or biggest things they hope to get out of homeschooling. I think they want better schooling and everything else, but I, I think that one of the things they're looking for is a relationship with their kids. As I read, so I would say those are your probably your two biggest. How do I know? How do I know where I'm at? How do I gauge what I should be doing and if my child is keeping up? And two, what do I do as we go through the homeschooling process to build a relationship and keep them, you know, and and keep them in a structured educational experience? Yeah, I like that relationship angle. That that is something that no one's really talking about. So how might you approach either of those two problems with the product? Okay, I, I don't know how we would have it be larger, but fast fast ways of getting into the market would be uh, as you're building this audience, then focus on building a better relationship. First thing to come out with would be a book on on building a better relationship. Become the a child expert for uh, for the homeschool community uh, how to build a, a strong family ties through your homeschooling that's that an would interesting be, thought yeah that would be an interesting product for the market cuz no one's doing it and it is a big problem right uh, the the fights that occur the the battle of wills the boredom the always needing to come up with ways of of uh, uh, teaching and connecting with your kid, those things are are tough and and they're lonely. So those are things that you could you could really uh, get into the emotion of it and really uh, solve some problems there. I like that idea. And Brian is one thing you should know about Brian is he is uniquely positioned to do something like this. Brian has a, a PhD. He's done lots of writing in his time. And uh, so I, I think writing is a skill that he has. I, he does great on podcast and video and other things as well. But, but I think your real, the way that you can provide the greatest value, Brian, is with writing. So I think that would be a good option for you. Tim, when I do when a, a book like that, when you're launching it for, uh, for something like this, my first question, how big, how deep, um, you know, you could go – you could bore people to tears with psychology. Obviously, you don't want to do that. But how how in depth do you want your first book to be? As much as you're willing to write, <laughs> I think I think you should treat it like a real book, not not some uh, throwaway PDF thing. 
but okay. actually write a real book, uh, solve, solve a real problem, be a real expert in your market. It might not be the very first thing you come out with, but it's something I think you should be working towards because it's going to solidify your place in the market. Because uh, what, um, as an example, I was looking on your site and reading the, a bunch of different posts and they don't have a perspective. They don't have a point of view. They don't have any real power behind them. They're, they're kind of generic. They just say, oh, here's some stuff. But if you could really connect to the emotion of working with your child on a day-to-day basis and not just working with them, right? Because that's kind of dull. That That is drudgery. We don't want to work with our children. We want to live and love and laugh with our kids, right? We want those things. So how can we have those things? Give me that perspective in, in everything that you do. And then give me the resources in a book format. That's going to be fantastic. I, other, I, I don't know like what other kind of monetary uh, things that you would prefer. Uh, so being online, you're probably wanting like g- give me that monthly sub- subscriber income. But this kind of path can really take you to being a national expert where you're going and speaking on Oprah. You're getting booked to go speak in educational formats where you're earning money as a speaker and and other things like that where it's not solely you're making money from a, a website but also from all the different things that you can provide to your marketplace. One of the questions I've had, I, I've just noticed that recently there's been a big spike in, in people promoting YouTube as, as a way to generate some traffic and generate interest in whether it's product or, or podcast or thing. What, 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 what kinds of, what kind of ways can I use YouTube, um, in addition with some, making some of the changes that you've suggested for the website? What are some ways? What are some effective ways to to make you to use YouTube for marketing? Much much like you're doing with Pinterest, you, you're, you're, you need to find a, something that resonates with that particular market. Okay. People who are on Pinterest, maybe they're on YouTube too. Maybe they like to listen to podcasts too, but rarely do these groups uh, overlap. You know, some people spend a lot of time on Pinterest and then they go spend some time on Facebook and then they go read a blog. They're done. Then you have people who just go to YouTube and spend hours watching a whole bunch of different videos on YouTube. So you need to find out if the market that that is on YouTube, why, why are they going there? Are they doing it to be entertained? Are they doing it to learn a specific subject, like some of the how-to videos that are on YouTube? Is that what they're coming there for? So why would the people who are in homeschooling, why would they want – your video what what is it that they would want to get from it that's a good point and one thing that i've seen in in my own niche is that youtube is is can you can just grow a really silent audience on youtube that you know most websites will have 20 30 videos up there that they'll put up periodically mostly to embed in a blog post where it kind of fits but there are a few guys in my industry who have you know just been real quiet and they just released release video after video after video after video and all of a sudden you look around and they have 300 videos on their youtube channel and they just absolutely 
dominate because once you have that, you know, 300 videos, then when people are just naturally searching YouTube for this and that and you come up over and over again, they're seeing you in a really compelling format on YouTube and they're seeing you over and over again. And those guys are just absolutely killing it right now. One that you can look at for an example is Flern. P-H-L-E-A-R-N, really stupid name. But he just started doing Photoshop tutorials, and there are tons of Photoshop tutorials on YouTube, but he made hundreds of them, just constantly pumping them out. And now, just the YouTube channel is what's totally propelling that brand. I mean, it's really incredible how fast that's happened. But usually people start a YouTube channel, put 10 or 15 videos up, and it's just a revolving door. Nobody's really committed to that channel. And so you won't see the rewards from it. But it can be huge. So maybe for homeschool parents... I've got to think, you know, when I'm, I'm not, we're not homeschooling our kids, but when we're just teaching our kids all the time, you know, my son will come up to me and say, you know, what's this, what's that? Or how do they make this? And I always sit down on my phone with them and well, let's, let me show you and I'll pop up a YouTube video and we'll look, you know, if you had a, a series of videos on what do you have to do to become a fireman? You know, how much does a fireman earn? How much school do you have to do? What's their training? What's a typical day like? And then you go out and you do a video on on another industry and another. Well, homeschool kids are going to search for that. Every kid who is, who's ever been in school has had the project of, you know, tell me what you want to be and learn what you have to do to get there. That kind of video is really going to be helpful to your community, even though you're not directly talking about homeschool. Right. Tim, one of the other questions I've had, or one of the other thoughts I've had and, and played with is I've talked to a lot of parents who they they have subjects that they don't enjoy, whether it's history or, and and I've I've and a lot of in our area, there's one particular methodology of of schooling of homeschooling. It's called Thomas Jefferson Education. That they are that it's it's really popular through here out here, and it's its foundation is mostly on uh, self-driven education, reading a lot of books, learning through learning through that that medium of, of books and reading and searching. And, and I've thought about doing either, you know, kind of YouTube classes or, um, some kind of a class through the website that you could jump onto and, and we'd do a webinar a week or some kind of a, a lesson a week where we'd walk through maybe a classic, you'd, you'd go through Les Mis or go through uh, a specific type of math, if you know, decimals or does that have any merit to it? The tough thing about a lot of ideas is that we will not know until we put it into the marketplace. That's unfortunately the best answer is, well, test it. Put put it out there. Find out if people want it. You're not going to know. You can ask people questions. Hey, would you be interested in this? And if they have no skin in the game, then yeah, sure, I would be interested in it. But then as soon as you put it out there and then you say, hey, I put it out there, you said you wanted it, if they, they most likely will go, if they're interested, they'll check it out. If not, then they won't. And and that is the, the reality is that, okay, we have these great ideas. Is the market big enough? So if people are into the Thomas Jefferson education, which is like a subset of the uh, of uh, classical education, uh, classicism, then you're looking at is it big enough for it to be of value to your overall brand? If so, then then try it out. See if your market wants it. And if so, then do more of it. 
and and then figure out a way to monetize that either directly or through other some uh, through other formats. Okay. That's a good thought. Now, understanding your audience enough to to create a product is really hard, harder than I ever thought it would be. And I've heard lots of suggestions, you know, make sure to get a couple people to pay for it before you create the product or do a survey or many different methods. And and over time, I'm really just committed to you got to follow your gut on a product and you have to accept that some really will just flop despite your best efforts. Let me give you an example of that. When I started uh, my online classes, I had created three or four different classes now and it was starting to get built out. And I heard daily from my customers. I mean, every day I heard, when are you going to come out with a class to teach me the business of photography, to start my own photography (laughs) business? I heard it over and over and over again, daily requests. And I thought, wow, this is going to go big. And so I created the class. I did surveys. I gave access to students to see if it was what they wanted. I really went overboard to make sure it was exactly what they wanted. I released it and it was a just walloping success. We sold, you know, a lot of money uh, that first month in this class. The second month, two people bought it. The third (laughs) month, three people bought it. One person bought it, two people bought it. And then I just closed the class down. What happened was it was a subset of my audience that was super passionate and it was a big pain point for them. But once I served that little audience, it really wasn't a giant chunk of my audience who who had the problem. It was a really small group who really had a problem. And so I I totally failed in my product research. But <laughs> but how could I have known that? You know, how could I have known that the interest would die out? That'd be really tough to test. And so I really feel like you got to follow your gut. And when you're really passionate about something, of course test. Of course do all these things. But at some point, you got to follow your gut, and and you're going to understand your audience. If you're emailing them, you're spending time with them, I, I think you're going to be able to to sniff it out, even if there are some failures. Right, right. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. Um, Tim, I had a couple more questions. Can I ask you? I You mentioned, or well, Jim mentioned, um, and I can't, did he call, I think he called them email baits, some way to, one of my biggest struggles is getting my, my email list to grow. I, I get a couple that trickle in every now and then what are i i have stayed away from pop-ups on my website you know something that pops up and says hey join my email uh that irritates me when i do it or when i'm when i'm on somebody's website and that pops up but then i hear from a lot of other people that say hey you've got to have those because they work is it worth irritating a few if it's going to increase my email subscription uh-huh. rate <laughs> okay th- this might get me onto a rant because <laughs> oh boy uh, there is this segment of the blogging audience, uh, blogging market. I, I call them the bloggers who like to blog about blogging, and they drive me nuts because they give advice that is not sound business advice. If you're doing a hobby, fantastic, but what they're doing is they're treating all visitors to their site as being equal. Okay, and they're not. They are not equal. There's some that'll just come and consume your free stuff forever as long as you don't do anything that irritates them. As long as you uh, stay away from irritating them, they'll come back. And, but they'll never buy anything from you. So, uh, so if you put a pop-up on and they get irritated, they'll tell you about it. I don't like the fact that you've got a pop-up on here. 
And I would say, yeah, but the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are opting in every single day, they don't have a problem with it because they're getting value from it. So if they're getting value from it and you're not, they may be my real audience and you are most likely not. So okay. that that's one thing is to understand that Everyone who visits your site is not equal. Some really want to engage with you and your brand. And a pop-up is not going to be seen, seen as a nuisance to them if the thing that's in the pop-up is of value to them and rewards them for their readership and for their engagement. The, uh, if it's just, hey, sign up for my newsletter – well, then, yeah, that's an annoyance. No one likes that. No one ever wants to opt into things like that. So you're going to uh, get very few people to put their email address in for that kind of an offer. But if you have a lead magnet that is something that they see as very valuable to them, solves a major problem for themselves, then they're not going to care how you show it to them. And there's been so many different studies and anecdotes where if you leave it static, leave your opt-in static on your site, then they will stop getting email signups. So the very first time you put an email signup anywhere on your site, you'll get some signups, but then it'll die off. Why? Because it's static. It just sits there. People become accustomed to it. They no longer look at it. The, so there, you know, you put it in the sidebar. Then say you see those designs where it's up in the uh, the opt-in is in the main header picture, right? And it's mm -hmm. very prominent and it stands out. Well, then all of a sudden those things get loads of opt-ins, and then it dies off because it just becomes part of the design. It's part of the background. People forget about it. But if you change things up, you pop it up in their face. It, it's, it breaks their pattern and they see it and then they opt in. could be the exact same offer, but in the one case, they, they just never notice it. And in the other, they're noticing it. And it's something that they've wanted. I like that. I couldn't agree more. That is, that is really, really excellent advice. I looked at my own stats a couple months ago, and I, I have a love-hate relationship with pop-ups. When I go to another website and it pops up, I'm rarely happy about it. But at the same time, when I see the numbers coming in from my own, it's hard to hate that. <laughs> well, I, so, so here's the that. thing. When you're not happy about it, is the times when the offer is not targeted to you. Mm -hmm. It's the only time. All the other times that you opt into a pop-up and don't even remember is because you wanted the thing and the pop-up was irrelevant to you. This happens with everybody. We have this, pers uh, this uh, way that we perceive things. So like if you buy a new car, say you buy a new Honda Civic and, and you've never had one before. You start driving around, all of a sudden you see Honda Civics everywhere, right? Same thing with like the pop-ups. You, uh, on the ones that, uh, that annoy you, you notice them. But the ones that don't annoy you, that you don't ever notice them. You forget about them moments later. Yes. Yep. Great point. Can I, let me just, I, this is, as I've been writing, as, as we've been talking, I've been writing some stuff down and I, Help me. This is what I'm. This is what I'm thinking. This is kind of my plan from leaving here. And and tell me what you think. Is 
as I try and redirect the focus of my website and of and even of my brand to to building relationships through homeschooling and but that everything goes to that that idea of building relationships if i were to create um some sort maybe even a chapter of the future of a future book on building relationships say with elementary age kids through homeschooling and then create that as a lead magnet and have that pop up on 10 ways to build your relationship with your elementary age student through your homeschooling is that am I thinking in the right direction? Probably. So the thing is, is there's all sorts of ages, right? Uh-huh. Predominantly, most homeschool kids are elementary age. Yes. Once the, once they get into the tougher subjects, parents tend to drop out. Not the kids don't. The parents tend to drop uh-huh. out. Yep. And so, uh, and and we're seeing that with a lot of our friends now that that uh, high school aged and like, Oh, how are we going to get our kids the proper education? Cause I don't remember anything about geometry and forget about calculus. Right. Uh-huh. I don't remember any of that. So how am I going to be of any use to my child? So they start looking for sending their kids back to school. Uh, knowing who you're after is going to be important. So as soon as you start saying we're for elementary school kids, you are completely cutting out all the others who are not elementary school. That is not bad, but you need to make sure that that's the right direction for you. So you may have one that's here's for elementary school, here's for middle school, here's for high school. So if it's for high school, maybe we need to repair some of our relationship from the past, right? Uh, because now all of a sudden we're either homeschooling now or or because um, if somebody's looking for homeschool stuff by the time their kid's in high school, then it, it's probably because it's a new thing to them. So maybe you have to repair your relationship. Uh, for middle school, maybe it's getting past that that boredom because like middle school education is kind of irrelevant. Uh, you're you're still yeah. basically learning elementary school level stuff, but not quite high school level. And so you're just stuck in this mid zone of wasting your time till your uh, your brain's logically capable of handling harder levels of work. So what do we do there? What kind of relationship do we build there? So you could do it that way, but that that makes you kind of general. And the more general you are, the harder it is to get traction, uh, initial traction. So if you can figure out a map of how do I niche down to start and then expand into the bigger market, well, then that makes sense. Let's do that. But if not, what if the... The market's big enough that if I just stuck with elementary uh, aged children, then that's all I ever have to focus on. That's a possibility too. I, I can't say which because I, I don't know. The, those are you've said some really important things, Tim. I, about ten times in this interview, you've used the word general, and that's the first thing you said at, when you looked at at Brian's website and you started to give advice at the, in the inter, in the start of this interview. Uh, you said that the the tips were very general. 
And then, Brian, you talked about the Thomas Jefferson education and how that's kind of the craze right now, at least in your, in your area. Uh, so I, I looked a little bit on the web, and there's a Thomas Jefferson education website. And I remember, Brian, when your wife, Jessica, explained to me what Thomas Jefferson education is, she used the exact phrases that are on this website describing what it is. And they have their, you know, curriculums and their, you know, it looks mm-hmm. like this, this is quite the business. And so what we see from that is uh, Tim saying the site looks a little bit general, generic right now. We see that that the homeschooling market really, uh, as you mentioned, Brian, one of their pain points is I don't know that I'm hitting the marks. I don't know if I, if my kids are benchmarking correctly because nobody's here to tell me that. And we see that the homeschooling market as a whole is ripe for these kind of, of when somebody will take a stance and say, no, this is the way we need to be teaching our kids with this Thomas Jefferson education model. Exactly. And it's going like wildfire. So that should be a signal to us that in this kind of business, you need to, I mean, it's great to, you know, let's share, I I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, 10 ways to teach math. That's great. You know, that's great. It's going to get Pinterest traffic, whatever. But when it comes down to a product or it comes down to your core business of what you're going to do, let's now take a stance and say, so Brian, how should I teach you? Like, you know, give me the, give me the bro thing. Like, you know, you're my brother-in-law. I'm going to sit down. I want to teach my kid. Like, how do I do this and make it a good experience? And you tell me your take on how to do it. And it looks like the homeschooling market is ready to eat that kind of thing up. I'm, I'm busy writing notes. <laughs> okay. Um, what I hear both of you saying is that the blog type things are fine as far maybe as a back back room. Here's just some, some interesting ideas, but identify a focus. If it's building relationships or if it's uh, helping people identify a benchmark and then, and then a process of how to get it there. I, the Thomas Jefferson education thing that what that offered to my wife was here is a, here is how the learning process happens in the Thomas Jefferson education model. Uh, they're going to read a bunch and here are three phases that they're going to go through. And it, each of them are going to be a little bit less directed by the parent or the, the mentor and and eventually going to lead the, the child or the student to a place where they are then directing their own educational experiences. And so if I'm looking for some kind of a product to put out in the market, I want something that's going to lay a process that they can follow or that they can, that they can identify A, where their child is at. Be where they want to get them to, and see how do I do that? What what are the steps? I guess a where they are, c where they where you want them to be, and then b how to get them there. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, I think two things to add to that is one a name because we can call this the Thomas Jefferson Education Model, and, and I think that's so powerful to have some kind of name to it, and two some kind of take on the matter because you can create benchmarks of a. Hey, when you're in third grade, you sh- you can get kids to know this level of stuff. You can create those benchmarks and save that and and solve that pain point by just creating a PDF and you could be done in an hour. But what if you create your education model? Like, this is the way you can teach your family. This is how it feels. This is how you organize your day. And, and like, this is, you know, this is a model for education that, you, that applies really well to homeschool and preach that. Then it's something that people can get excited about and, and really sink their teeth into rather than just being one kind of, eh, it was kind of helpful product. Let's move right, on to the next helpful right. product. 
Well, not just, and it's not just that. It's not the having a perspective, right? You have to have that. Your personality, your perspective must be there. There, there has to be a shared worldview with the people that uh, that you're targeting. But then on top of that, being that it's a worldview, what are they against? Yeah. If you if you don't have an enemy, no one rallies around you. If if we uh, that that's why if you go through the homeschool market and and I I, I was just about to go off on a rant. So, uh, but inside the homeschool market, you have all these different areas, and they all have their enemies. Like Common Core is like the devil right now. That or uh, uh, or just science. As some people are very anti science, yep. and so theref- therefore anything that teaches real science they're against and they uh, teach their version of of science and and if you try to attract them and then you say anything that goes against say creationism then you immediately lost that entire market because that's their enemy Mm -hmm. right Uh, evolution is their enemy so therefore uh you uh, you will never attract them if you ever say anything pro-evolution. Say, so whatever you use as part of your thing, there needs to be someone to go against. And it's pretty easy to go against the uh, public school system. That, that's an easy, easy enemy yeah. there. But most homeschoolers have already kind of passed that. So you need maybe a little nudge extra on, on that side of it and and say uh, – have have a, a more specific enemy that you're against, then then the people that also believe that to be an enemy will rally around your cause. Great point. So I, I, I know one that I hear often is uh, from new homeschooling parents are really concerned about their kids' social skills. So that could be an example of an enemy is you know homeschooling parents that just are not giving their kids opportunities to develop socially. And so that could be an element of it as well. One of my concerns is as far as – well, let me say this first. I, one of the things that I've tried to do is I, I don't know that I've ever considered identifying the common enemy but rather finding a common purpose. I, that's something – identifying a common purpose, for example, um, individualized education where I can I can specifically hit the needs of each individual. That would be more of a common purpose for homeschoolers rather than not necessarily an enemy such as the uh, – oh, just – the classroom approach, everybody gets taught the same exact way. Common enemy is very different than – at least what I'm hearing you say, a common enemy is different from a common purpose. Correct. It is very different because a common purpose does not instill motivation. It, it does not get people to take action. It does not – they do not rise up in arms and go, yes, <laughs> that's us. <laughs> they, they don't do it. But if, if you say we're against this also, then they go, yes, that is, that is right. And they, they – we're, we're fighting the system. We're, we're whatever it is. Whatever they're against, they, that will drive passion. Uh, humans are very base that way. Yeah, we uh, – things that we like – yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Things we hate, we really, really hate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that's a great point. And, you know, it's the common purpose that's working for you so far, Brian. It- it's that, you know, let's have smart kids common purpose that's getting people to click through on Pinterest and people to like your, your uh, or to 
subscribe to your podcast. That common purpose stuff is doing great and just providing general tips is there. So now you have like fuel in your boat and you're ready to take off. I say boat because I've been thinking about boats all week. Um, you, You have fuel in that boat and you're ready to take off. Now let's give these people a direction. You got like a mass of people in town square and you have a bunch of megaphones there and nobody's saying anything. So, you know, if you have a common enemy now and it's like, this is the enemy and this is how we can make our kids better. Bang. That, I mean, that has all the ingredients for a nice explosion there. That's cool. It has the ingredients for a movement. I like it. So we've talked a lot about the the product, and I think that's probably something that we're going to have to, you know, Brian's going to keep mulling over for a while until it's just right. But um, now let's talk a little bit about the launch. Uh, and and that's where I, I have to point everybody back to that webinar, Tim. Is, is that easily available that I can point people to? No, it is not. Uh, I, I've taken a hiatus from Foolish Adventure Show, mm-hmm. and and so I've taken down any email opt-in that was a thing that was given away as as an email opt-in. So it is unavailable. Oh, that's I, a shame. I, I may I may make it available one of these days. If something that uh, Izzy and I recorded almost four years ago, it's really so. old, and I love <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, Yes, so it, it's not it's not available. Uh, maybe one day I'll make a new version of it and put that out there for everyone. But right right now, no. Okay, well it's uh, so let's talk a little bit about about the launch. And there are if, there's a, there's a lot to know about the actual launch of a product. But walk me through a timeline, Tim. So let's say Brian has his product ready today. Whatever it is, an ebook, uh, an online class, a uh, uh, whatever it is, he has that ready today, and he says, "Tim, walk me through it. Give me a timeline of today to do this, do tomorrow do that, until launch time." How would that look? Well, uh, first, I would say you started too late, because if your product's already ready, you've started too late. You need to start engaging people before the product's even available. We we want them to know something's coming. We want to find out whether or not they're interested. So I always do a pre-notification list. So the people who are really rabid about something, I want them on a, a separate list because I'm going to talk to them more because they've already said, yes, I really want this thing. So I'm going to talk to them more because they're going to help me make a better product. So all the people who are eh, about the idea, they, they, they may want it when it's there and it's tangible, but they're not going to be able to give me any really good advice. But for people who are rabid about the idea, they're going to give me feedback. They're going to read every single one of my emails. So they're going to uh, consume any kind of content on the topic that I that I put out. Everyone else, maybe, you know, they'll take it or leave it. Our, our general audience probably isn't going to dive heavily into it just yet. They're not going to get committed until it's there. They're going to follow everyone else. So if we can get a group of people just geared up beforehand – so that as soon as the product goes live, they get they get uh, early access to the product. Whenever it's available, they get early access. So they're going to buy the thing. And I, one of the things I like to do is fast action bonuses. So if you're like one of the first 25 people to buy, you get X. Well, those will sell out immediately. So when the general audience gets to the, the product sales page, they're already going to see that loads of people are already buying because all the... Uh, all those bonuses are already gone. So people are already there. You have to have enough bonuses so that the people that come later, 
can still get something extra out of the deal. But the initial people, it shows social proof. You uh, get uh, ahead of time, you're able to get people to say great things about your product and you use that in your marketing. Uh, where so you just answer an email for someone and someone's like, yeah, thank you for that answer. And that's really helped me out. So you use that in your marketing. So first build that, that core group that really wants the product so that you can get more interest and social proof ready to go when you launch to the greater marketplace. All right. I'm liking that. So we're, we're trying to build up, build up that interest in the marketplace. We, we got our product and, and I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on that a little bit is one really good way to communicate with your, with your core audience. These people, like Tim said, that, that will kind of respond to every email that are really engaged in it is I create a private, or I think they call it a secret, a secret Facebook group uh, that you have to be invited to. It isn't even available on Facebook search. And I'll kind of reach out to a few customers. And I, I have a group on on my websites that are like, you know, 20 people that are like my best guys. And I'll give them everything I do for free and just ask them to, you know, their advice on stuff. When I'm about to launch something, I'll say, what do you guys think of this? Is this sales page look okay? Would you buy this? You know, all that kind of thing. And you can get those people talking. And sometimes I've got really good insights from doing that. So a Facebook group might be a great way to get that, that core audience kind of talking. Yeah, I, I like that idea. It's something I heard years ago being called the client council. So you have your best customers. So what you're saying is uh, these people aren't paying for anything. Uh, but having your best customers, the people who buy everything that you put out, those people give you the best advice. Mm -hmm. Because one, you know they're going to give you money because they have and they will. And they will tell you exactly what they want. And you know they're going to buy the next thing you come out with. So they will give you much better advice than someone who never has to put up any kind of cash. If they don't have to put up their own cash, they can tell you whatever they want and, and there's no consequences, right? Right. Because they don't, they don't have to live with those consequences. Once you've got this group of people ready, now we have to figure out how we're going to sell to them. So I like to do over the course of, say, one week where – I, I start off saying, hey, this thing's going live on, say, Monday. We're going to open up on Monday. I usually do Tuesdays, but you'll have to do your testing, finding out the right as well. Yeah, finding out the right time for your market because some markets actually do better on the weekends where they, they sell better, but you, you never know unless you launch on a weekend. Uh, that's, the, that's the scary part is you have to just launch to find out what's going to happen. So, Say around Tuesday, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. I, I do that because I have always had a problem t with technology that delays the launch. So I don't want to wake up at 7 in the morning and launch at 8 a.m. because odds are something's going to break and I'm going to spend the next two hours fixing it. So I'd rather get up at 7 in the morning. And, and make sure everything's working again before I go live at, say, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, can I interject right there? Yeah, go ahead. That is really important. I have <laughs> lost a ton of money this year from not, I thought the technology was ready. I get ready for the launch, and then it goes down 
right when I sent out an email to 50,000 people and posted it on a Facebook page to 350,000 people. It is just a sickening feeling when that happens. So I've, I do all my launches now at midnight and I have enough people that like really will be up at midnight because it's all around the world. And so I get slow purchases all through the night and usually by three or 4 a.m., it is a well-oiled machine, and I know when the U.S. wakes up, it's ready for prime time. <laughs> so it, it, that that's really important. Don't just skip over that step because I promise you, you're going to lose a bundle of money at the most critical time. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and that's why I also have that smaller pre-notification list that I email to first because they get notified ahead of time, and if there's any bugs in the system that I didn't catch – they usually catch it, and because they're rabid fans, uh, they really want to consume this product, they are a little more forgiving. They're, they're not going to immediately request a refund, call you a scammer, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so with those people, you can get through some of the other bugs. So th- that's, that's like kind of the mechanics of just getting going. But then you've got to email them again and email them again. Most people don't email their list enough when their launch is going on. They, they do it one or two times and they're like, oh man, uh, I, I saw like 10 people unsubscribe from my list, so I'm not going to email again. But you just made thousands of dollars. Email one more time, you'll make thousands of dollars again. You just do it again. And the few people that unsubscribe, they weren't your true audience anyways. They weren't ever going to be a customer. You, what they did was they did you a favor by stepping out of your system and going somewhere that they're better suited. And now you can really help the people that are your customers, that are your true fans. That's a great point. And one kind of ninja hack for doing this, if you know you, if you are afraid I'm going to burn my list while while you're uh, doing a launch and you're going to you know email three times, you know once a day for a few days while you're doing the launch, if, if you're going to do that, uh, then one thing that I've done is the you know week or two before the launch, I'm going to be talking a lot about that topic, whatever whatever the launch is about. I'm going to be writing about it on the blog and on Facebook and everything, getting people excited about that topic. And so in those emails where I'm just getting people interested in the topic and I have a link to the website or something with a free resource on in that area, then in any email provider you do you use, you know, MailChimp, AWeber, MadMimi, whoever you're using, you can easily just grab the people who have clicked on those emails and grab the people that clicked on, on your product launch email, you know, opened it up, they were interested in it, and then just grab that list and then reduce it by the list of the per- people that have already bought. Now you have a list of people who are definitely interested in the in the topic and you've already cut out the people who just purchased in the last two days. And so you know you're not bugging your customers. You're sending to people who do want this email. They've proved it to you over the last couple of weeks and you can hammer them again and again. Yeah, I, though, like I said, there's there's always that people that won't get on a list. They won't click, they won't do the thing, but they see that one email that comes from you and then that gets them to buy. So I, I typically have at least four sales messages. One, we're open. There, there's some other stuff that goes on before that. Hey, buy now. Uh, first email goes out, but I have that sales one that says, Hey, go buy now. We're open. 
Then like a day or two later, I have another one it says, hey, it's for sale. Go buy it. And, and maybe a little extra content, uh, something interesting that's happening. Then I'll do another one saying, hey, sales almost over. We're going to be uh, either the price is going up on this particular day. It's going up, say, tomorrow or whatever. And you need to buy now or I'm taking it off the market for a couple of months. So you need to buy while it's available. And then the fourth one is we are closing or the price is going up, whatever the th- motivation is, is going up now. <laughs> like you've got, you've got three hours from the time that this email goes out before, before something happens and you're going to lose out. That last email will drive a ton of sales. Almost always drives a ton of sales. Yeah, great point. That's that's the I'm going to club this baby seal kind of email. It's like <laughs> you go buy right now or else I'm going to club this baby seal. You have, you know, the timer has started. Exactly. Well, we have gone on for almost an hour and this has probably been my favorite episode of the podcast. Shh, don't tell anybody else who's been on the show. I really like how practical that this conversation has been. And I'm glad to see that Brian is right at the point that everybody else that we've talked to on the podcast, everybody that I've been emailing with about you know finding your topic, picking your niche, you want to be in Brian's shoes because Brian has fuel in his tank. He, uh, he has the, that cu- the customer list. It's small, but he's built it out. The, the number of people going, going to his website are small, but they are coming. And so that trickle is building and building. And Brian, when you're ready to launch that product, you're going to see success. Uh, so, so this is the point, everybody, that you want to be at uh, where, where he's done the legwork. He's done the hard work in the late nights, uh, getting that audience built. And now he's ready, even with a smaller audience, to, st- to get something going. And Tim, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. I, as I mentioned in the intro, I've been listening to you for years. And seriously, that webinar you did years ago is, is still giving me benefits today in my business. So I have a lot of respect for you and and appreciate all that you do online. Thanks for having me on. And Brian, good luck. Hey, Tim, I appreciate your your honest feedback and uh, and look forward to, to using some of this information. Very cool. When you're serious about launching your website, check out Jim's free step-by-step tutorials at IncomeSchool.com. Income School is a production of Improv Photography, LLC. Any opinions expressed by guests and callers do not reflect those of Improv Photography, LLC. Results mentioned not typical. Some links mentioned are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Some calls simulated. Improv Photography, LLC is not a law firm and does not give legal or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a competent licensed CPA or lawyer licensed in your jurisdiction before making business decisions.